The Westport Library and the Quick Center for the Arts present an official Apple podcast, Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast, with me, Migs Burroughs. And I'm Trace Burroughs. And today we have with us Michael Kearns. He's an actor, an author, an activist, and one of the first actors to come out in Hollywood and to say he was gay. And when he did this, I guess it was in his early 70s, right? Uh that was a big deal. Um, and I, there were a lot of ramifications, and he'll talk about that. Yeah, are you still feeling the uh, repercussions, good and bad? Because you've, you've made, you've been notoriety, you had some notoriety. Oh, yeah, wow. I think I've sort of notoriety. <laughs> <laughs> How is notoriety different than fame? <laughs> right. <laughs> or, or infamy. Yeah. That's my beginning question for you guys. Yeah, that's I'm a good thing. Because no. it is, I am more notorious in a way than fame. I'll be the first to acknowledge yeah. those things. Um, yeah, it was a, it, it made me who I am probably, um, obviously, uh, and, and I think that the path was absolutely the right one to take, but yes, there's still ramifications. I think there are ramifications, not so much in my, um, mini world here that I live in, you know, which has gotten smaller and smaller during the last two years Mm. in some ways. Um, maybe it's calmed down the waters and nothing much affects me about it. However, in the big picture of Hollywood, let's be serious, not a lot. Yes, there have been changes. There have been changes, Mm. but not enough. There's still huge amounts of fear of homosexuality. Really? Fear that someone's going to get like AIDS from like being close to- i don't i think that was an excuse of fear right yeah i think the fear is more entrenched than that and that's why the the virtual cessation of aids at least you know in a certain way that we live uh didn't really cure that homophobia that exists you know there, there was a lot of outpouring around the aids benefits and the this and the by casting directors and people who would be going to their office the next day and behaving homophobically. Hmm. Jeez. <laughs> Throwing I, pictures in a waste can, one casting director. <laughs> of, of people he presumed to be gay, many of whom are not, by the way, as we all know, anybody with a brain. But, you know, you can be assumed to be gay, you can be guessed yeah. at, you can be rumored about, you can, all kinds of things can still tarnish your career. I guess if you play a part, you're a good actor and you play a, and you're not gay and you play a gay part and you're really good at portraying that as a real, not over the top, like gay person, so, someone might, a casting director might assume that you, you were actually yeah, if you gay. do such a good job. Yeah. There's yeah. many, you know, boys in the band. I don't think everybody was gay in the cast, but you know. Well, but here's my question. Do they assume that um, in these big explosive epic things that those characters go to the 7-Eleven on their way to work and shoot up a few people? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a stretch of an assumption. Right. Acting is acting. That's changed now. You know, I'm old enough to see the texture of what is considered acting being distorted in in this current environment 
What is the change? Well, somebody said, yeah, you don't have to be a Danish prince to play Hamlet. I mean, you know, that's your, that's what you're. Well, is that true? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's only one Danish. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody will scream appropriation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the buzzword here, you know, yeah. and it's affected the theater, which mm. hello, the theater is. Yeah, this to... is. Yeah. This is what I don't understand why Hollywood got homophobic because there's a lot, there always has been, right? A lot of gay people in theatrics and, and theater and, and they go into movies from the theater and, and all the different arts involved in that. And, and why should that be like a big deal for, I mean, for them? I could understand if you worked at a, a steel iron plant in Pittsburgh, maybe <laughs> a steel factory, but, uh, but, but, you know, in, in Hollywood, I don't get it. Yeah, it's probably more open in a steel factory if you looked at the numbers. I'm serious. Yeah. yeah. If you looked at the numbers of, let's just say, out people, You're right. I would imagine there's more kind of acceptance and probably more because it's in, it's so it, before the first reel of film was shot, homophobia existed here. I don't know why. I mean, there's all kinds of explanations. Oh, well, we won't, be, the classic, well, we won't believe the, well, people believed Rock Hudson, didn't they, for decades? Sure, right. yeah. There's a laundry list of people who, I'm not going to name them all, it's boring, but who people believe, Kevin Spacey, you know, yeah. people, and, and then the question is, who cares? Yeah. What does it have to do with what's going on on the screen when you're watching the movie? It's whether you're transfixed or taken sure. for a ride. Well, it's like outing somebody because they wear a lampshade on their head when they're having sex with their wife. I mean, it, well, who cares what they're doing at home? You know, I mean, it's so funny that you use that analogy because I always <laughs> say that a lot of these performances that Trace you you uh, reference, not specifically, a lot of the straight men playing gay men. I say it's like they have a lampshade on their head. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Well, you know, they're they're nudging you. Yeah. This isn't really me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really this guy. Nudge, yeah. wink. And if that doesn't work, they go on the talk shows to let you know. And yeah. that's the first thing that's said. Oh, you're playing a gay person? Still that's said in that tone. But did, did any of you... Ridiculous. Did any when you came, you know you come out very I mean early one of the first but are your other uh, fellow uh, gay actors feel threatened the fact that you you might you know people might start snooping around and wondering as oh, I wonder if there's more of him you know and what if they catch me and you know yes people will I say this and it's not a joke it sounds mm. like a joke that other gay men would cross the street if they saw me coming. I don't know what they thought I was going to do, like transmit some yeah, aura yeah. of gayness onto them. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't outing people unless they deserved to be. <laughs> well, Which meant, you know, people who were really going against AIDS or HIV or specifically going against the gay community. And well, now I don't even know you, there is a gay community. I don't even know what that means. Right. Dave Chappelle, I don't know what all that means. I do know, but yeah. 
Go Maybe on. There isn't a straight community. I mean, where there's straight people and there's not. <laughs> but there's, you know, I don't go to meetings. I mean, I, <laughs> you don't have bring, you don't have a straight flag. I don't uh, know. What, yeah. That would be navy blue and <laughs> yeah. so tasteful, you know, gray. Maybe. But I did we, a straight pride. Well, a straight pride. But blue. I did. I went to Carnegie Mellon in the drama department. In oh my god! Pittsburgh. Speaking of Pittsburgh, I lived in Pittsburgh for four years. In 1963, I had shoulder-length hair, and I was the first one, literally, in Pittsburgh to ever have hair below their ears, to even touch their ears. And I would get. Uh, I mean, I got beaten up once, and but people, I was called fag. People would drive by in their cars and call me a faggot and this and that. I'd walk down the street. I got punched. I got, you know, punched from the back, you know, blindly, you know, oh, knocked on the street. So in a way, I mean, and I didn't, you know, it was like it really makes you wonder, like, my hair threatens them. I mean, they don't yes. know anything about me. And, yes. you know, I guess that and they must. My theory would be if you extrapolate from that is that they'd love to have long hair. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. And it was during the course of the Vietnam era and the whole thing. And uh, and and those days, Pittsburgh police walked with German shepherds and um, they would intimidate you if they saw a, a hippie, you know, or something. Right. You know, they would intimidate you with their dogs. I, I got out of Vietnam War by saying I was gay. And I had to go back twice and I got letters <laughs> and they, and, and this is odd. Unless my memory has changed. One of the first times I went, they wanted me to take a shower. I said, I'm not going to go in there. It seems like the opposite. Like I'd want to go in and yeah, yeah, some right. naked man, but they, and um, I, and I just did this like I was an actor, you know, and acted out this sort of, I'm sad. And, and then they brought me back and then put me in a psychiatrist's office. Get us all back. A callback yeah. at the army. I got a callback, and 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 I had gone to these psychiatrists just to get all you do is get one letter. They don't look at those letters, so they see five letters. They think you're insane because it looks like a lot of therapy. Yeah, and and, and they and they finally, I just said the guy. The guy says, "Are you gay?" And I went, "Yes." Oh, oh, oh. And I got out. Yeah. You could you could have done some classes in that that gesture and <laughs> you're right the shame I, I buy that yeah you bought the shame yeah about the shame embarrassment and afraid to admit yeah yeah well good for you well, that you you did that yeah you appropriated you were acting yes That's I appropriated the, the thing yeah so should you have been um, let's just play this out. Because you were not gay and you were acting as if you were gay, uh, was that a mortal sin? Mm. I don't know. I mean, you were playing the system. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right. You could say that was a, that's, you know, I mean, there's a, yeah. I was playing into their uh, prejudice by, you know, it was all at that point, you're talking about for me, life and death. I wasn't going to yeah. shoot. I didn't want to kill people and I didn't want to be maimed and lose limbs. And so whatever it took, I would have but, but that my grandmother ex- for... <laughs> but you could extrapolate that and say, would you play a white supremacist? Would you, would you pretend to be a white supremacist if that got you out of the 
Um, if it back then in 68, you're talking about a whole different yeah. time period. The funny thing is I did a, a small budget movie uh, and, and one of the characters was supposed to be a pedophile. And I, I, I wanted, and I, so I got this older man who's like now about, like probably my age because it's like eight or nine years ago. And he had a, and I really researched this. Like I went to pedophile sites and learned how they talk, you know, they write love letters and to their 15 year old person they're trying to seduce and i and i and i so i learned a lot of, and i have that and then the, the actor i couldn't believe he said this to me he says you know i'm not really a pedophile don't you <laughs> i was thinking yeah you're an actor you know, <laughs> you never, never, never thought you were a pedophile. i just you're an actor and i just want the actor to be an older man uh, uh for some reason he's also oh. a party clown so i was trying to combine weirdness you know well it's very interesting that you're bringing this up pedophiles if you look through history and a lot of villains are played by gay men gay closeted mm. men because they can't if they know they're gay or let's just say in the 30s 40s wherever they knew that the actor was gay they weren't there weren't gay roles per se there might have mm. been butler who act fruity and there might have mm. been so parts yeah. I played, but there weren't that many gay roles. Now that there are um, all of those, you know, so, 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 so many gay roles, it's a different story. Yeah. yeah so what's, let's talk more about your, you, you, you've, you've written, what's your current book? Is this the, um, Oh, that's the book. Who's of, afraid uh, of Michael Craig. So see, here's an example. I would never have become a, writer of the you know i mean i worked very hard but mm. i wouldn't have been a writer if i had, i don't think uh, or not to the extent that i have or an activist to the extent that i have or a father you i mean so many things sprouted mm. from my being openly gay more good than bad Mm. Um, but I certainly lost revenue. I mean, nobody could deny that. I mean, then I started making it up as a solo performer, but there were lean times and then there are still lean times. You know, I'm an independent artist, freelance artist. You don't have an easy road. No, no you've been versatile. I mean, that's the thing, being a writer. and You still go out to auditions and you still feel like... I'm not in interested it. so much. You know, what happened was <clears throat> in the, I guess in the 80s primarily, before we all knew about AIDS and we knew this mysterious thing was happening, but the industry so much didn't. There were, there were some TV roles in the early 80s, even into the 80s, um, that I played that because then I sort of got this reputation as being a good actor, not even a gay good actor, but mostly in the industry, I was labeled profoundly, <laughs> profoundly gay stamp. I wouldn't have had any trouble at the, uh, the parole hearing. So, um, maybe I would, who knows, but I didn't, I just had to check the box. I didn't have to do what you did. You, you were, uh, heroic. Um, anyway, so then I played a lot of these gay parts. <clears throat> you know, the hilarious thing is people say, are you playing another gay character? 
What would anyone say to a heterosexual actor? Yeah, yeah are you playing that? another straight character? Another detective, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Another detective, another policeman, another brute, another pederast. Oh, I know. I was didn't finish that thought. I'll be. Oh, yeah. oh I told you about the the fact that they now they camouflage their gay casting by casting the gay men in negative, oh. snarky, mean, murderous yeah. type. Yeah, like you'll notice it now. Yeah, especially if you're looking at an older movie, no, but not even an older movie. I, I mean, I'm not going to name. Yeah, there's, there's some actors who do not play screamingly heterosexual, and they're playing these characters. Well, you can sort of put it together. Your math, they're probably a gay actor. <laughs> That's interesting. That can that tradition continues. Did you ever get back in the day, like when this all started, and you had a part supposed to be a heterosexual person, and you had to kiss a woman, and they, they get it like all uptight about it because they're they didn't know about how IV, HIV was spread and AIDS, and people got all paranoid about or oh, even stuff. shaking hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did yeah, you ever get shaking hands? Do you ever get someone saying like, "On that, I, can we just do something else? I don't want to like touch lips with that." Well, I never had that problem because at, by that at that juncture, I was playing gay roles pretty yeah. much on TV. Yeah. So there wasn't going to be at then there was a gay kiss on one of those shows. My friends, Peter Frechette and David Marshall Grant played oh, yeah. those two characters. And he went they, to our high school, didn't he? David Staples, was, Staples yeah. High School in Westport. Yeah. Yes. What was the? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We don't want to waste time on that. But they they did. There was a big kiss in the eighties, I think, but not many. Few mm. and far between. Intimacy expressed between any two gay people. And then we remember when Rock Hudson, when it was revealed that he had kissed Linda Evans, I guess, knowing he had HIV. Oh, yeah. I didn't know yeah, that. that uh, that sort of stacked some uh, thoughts against him. However. It was unlikely that anybody was going to get HIV by kissing. That yeah. was the other. Yeah. Well, it's the phobia. You know, the, everyone's so the phobic phobia about everything. So then I started. Oh, I know. So you played these characters. Then in the the '90s come along, and there are. Oh my goodness! How how progressive of them. There are HIV characters with HIV on TV. Mm. Usually, you know, they fall under the category of. The pathetic, um, I lost you here a minute. The pathetic, um, wheelchair bound, lesions on the face, mm. um, barely able to, you know, caricature. So I did a couple, you know, three or four. One was recurring on Beverly Hills Nano 210. But I would go to makeup at 5 30 or 6 in the morning. And they would make me up to look like what I kind of assumed in those days I would become. Oh, like so it was horrible. It was oh. like a horrible exploitation of me, I felt at some point. Because you know, they'd benefit. Oh, we've hired an openly gay, publicly HIV positive Michael Kearns to play this role. Mm, good for us. Mm. Yeah, all good for us is what it's about. That's what all those benefits and everything were about. That, yeah, 
Now, there's a quote in one of your one of the interviews I read. It says the whole AIDS ep- epidemic is who I am. How, how did what did you mean by that? If you said it, well, if that's a correct quote, yeah. I'm, I think it is probably. Yeah. It sounds like something I dramatically say. Um, well, it I just became so tied to it. Not initially as a, I, I didn't have that as a thought process. It just organically occurred that I started playing these characters. I was involved in the activism aspects of it because I had a voice. You know, I, I, I uh, one of the positive things is I got on Nightline. I got on mm. in People Magazine. So I could talk about age just based on my notoriety. Um, and that's part of it. But then it just, it became a life's mission. You know, I still constantly write about AIDS. I write about a lot of other things, a lot, 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 lot of other things. But even those things, if you really dug into them, they all sort of inherently have what I would say as an AIDS consciousness, because it's they're about uh, dispelling myths and breaking stereotypes and looking at things from a different point of view. Even if my pieces aren't about AIDS, they're about that. They're about the marginalized, the forgotten, Hmm. you know, ignored, the vilified, the all these guys. Yeah. Yeah, right. There's a lot. I mean, there's different reasons people. uh, So what's your most most current project that you're working on? Well, now I'm working on, you know, I have ongoing projects um, that are always in the works for the next one. The writing group I have called Queerwise, which has now evolved 10 years, this is the 10th year, into uh, all you have to do is identify as queer. That could mean that you're an odd person who (laughs) gardens in their tuxedo. (laughs) so we've expanded it because that definition is now murky what does it mean it's not about sexuality anymore so we and we started out as an older person's writing group because there was a dearth of older people of any uh calling one being able to go to a writing group so that's sort of how it started, but now it's evolved and it, we do spoken word in it, spoken word performances um, all over Los Angeles, and we're always in preparation for the next one. So that's one thing I'm constantly doing and have been doing for 10 years. Then I'm an artistic associate at the Skylight Theater. So I'm involved there as a producer with a small P, but I am involved in some decisions and certainly in its edification, which has been difficult during covid there you know there has been no theater but now it's on the sort of revival or rejuvenation path which a lot of them aren't like i'd say half of the theaters in la you know we had a lot but they're gone you know, they, really? they couldn't keep paying, paying the rent some of them went you know sort of like some human beings do from check to check they went from rent to rent from getting in the box office and they're gone when they don't have anything coming in you know, so that's a sad thing. So I'm involved in that. And then I'm always writing, you know, I always have about 10 things writing, but I'm trying to write a memoir, I, probably the hardest assignment one could give oneself of my father, just my father, sort of take him out of the family paradigm. 
because that's what I've had to do to sort of reconcile my relationship with him is not look at him as my father. Oh, not entirely true, but to be aware that he was another person and that person was pretty cool. And I would probably love that person more than I did while he was alive, my father. So I've come to terms with a lot of just, you know, he had mental illness and, and was not treated the way it would be treated if he had mental illness today. So there's just a lot of things to forgive. And then, you know, once you add the mother to the <laughs> definition mm. or the identity of the father, you're really dealing with a distortion, you know, because she has her narrative. You don't know that when you're 10. Oh, yeah. She yeah. has a narrative about the father that she's going to, some mothers are going to put that in your head every single day and, and whirl it around and swerve it around and make you believe pretty much what yeah. they say. So I, it's a lot of rebuilding. So my daughter, interestingly enough, um, said, uh, you should write a memoir about your father. Mm. I went, mm, that scares me to death. Um, but so I'm sort of begun some thoughts about that. I think it would be, it, it, it's probably valuable for everybody to do. Is your daughter involved in theater? What is she? Doing? My daughter is, um, I mean, this is quite a story. You know, she was addicted to crack cocaine and blah, 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 blah. My daughter is like one of the most, at 27, uh, I'd say up and coming TV writers. Oh, I mean, cool. She has a very solid reputation and she's um, pitching projects and, so she's an amazing person. I mean, how much is nurture? How much is nature? Yeah. She obviously has a strong, developed brain that was not affected by the cocaine, by the way, or the, you know, she spent um, five weeks in an incubator. Oh, yeah. Wow. So she fought and fought and fought. And then she fought much of her first years me <laughs> but not uh, i mean she just was a fighter i think that's probably why she is who she is today you take there's another example well mm -hmm. i was openly gay and this happened well she was adopted and I mean, i'm not minimizing the problems with adoption the challenges and not, not according to that supreme court idiot mm. who what did she say oh just they can just go out and adopt yeah 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 mm. or they can have the kids adopted <laughs> Is she kidding? Yeah. yeah. Is she, she, is she adopting anybody? Yeah. Right. yeah. Each kid who is adopted has their own set of challenges, period. I don't care how, how pretty the outfits they wear are or how many accolades they get or awards they win. There's a deep-seated issue. They may not ever deal with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, my daughter's dealing with it head on and boy, it's, it's painful. And I had the door open for her to deal with it whenever she wanted to from the time she could talk. And um, she chose not to talk for a couple of decades, but now she's plugged into it at her own pace, her own timing. But I'm telling you, it's a complicated, unless you've raised someone or unless you are adopted, or maybe if you've raised someone who's adopted, you don't realize the depth, hmm. pain, anger, hmm. et cetera, that is 
just toxifies as the years. It doesn't go away miraculously on your third birthday. Yeah. It's annoying, ongoing. You have to work on it all the time. Absolutely. And she has learned now in her late 20s, mid 20s, she started really working on it, you know, with in therapy. So it's it's hard. It's hard for me. I mean, you know, it's not about me. It's about her. I mean, and also she's black. So imagine these last few years, she's dealing with the adoption issues plus the black female issues, which I don't know what it's like there, but for a black woman to go out and walk on the streets here after dark, for instance, no. Walk to their car alone, no. It's too volatile. Wow. Has she had any interest or impulse to to find out who her birth parents are? Well, she know we know. know, We don't know who the father is. We never will. Yeah. They went through all that in trying to keep hold of her. Um, She knows who the mother is. There was there were a couple of meetings. One when she was a tiny, tiny baby, and then uh, one subsequent to that when she was about ten or eleven, and the mother was. I don't even know why they had the meeting. I don't know why it, but maybe it was provided my daughter was some finality because the mother sort of came into a room. It was like a Christmas gathering. She literally came into a room from the front door, walked across the the length of the room where my daughter happened to be sitting, kind of sideways glanced at her and said, oh, hi turned around and walked out the door. Mm. That was her Yeah. And I went there, drove there, found out the direction, tried to teach her what would go wrong or right or what, you know, everything. And that's what happened. She was so hoping for a, she was hoping for an emotional uh, epiphany, like something, they, they, something yeah. like, oh, I'm, you know what I mean? Some tears. Some, yeah. At least, yes, I love you, maybe. Gee, oh, yeah. I'm sorry would have survived. I, I'm sorry would have gone a long way. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Wow. Just I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, that's like mind-blowing, really. Yes, and she was clean, by the way. That's the even more interesting thing. Mm. This was after a period of a year, nine months. I don't know, more than that. I think she had been clean for many years. Here's the point. Being clean does not make you want to be a parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's another misguided assumption. Oh, well, we'll get them into recovery and they'll have their 10 kids back, five kids back, one kid back. Doesn't work that way. So um, another painful aspect of the whole thing, you know, are the, are, is the adoptee going to look for the birth parents? What is the lifestyle of the birth parents? How is that going to impact them from that age on? You can see how complicated it is. Yeah. And then what, make things worse, like the way this lady, you know, treated her like, uh, like you, yeah. Your daughter must have been ex- wanted to have some closure, uh, guessing, and and that woman didn't even like couldn't put in a couple of minutes of like, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm sorry, and you know, well. it, it's just amazing. And what it did was it made things worse. Yeah, because now my daughter had the manifestation of what she thought of herself, mm-hmm. not that that was real. 
but that she was invisible. She didn't matter. She nobody cares. Why we brought up all that at age ten or eleven or whatever? It re you know it enlivened yeah. it in her. Yeah, maybe that was a good thing. I don't know, but because I think that that she did, she expresses that's it, and my daughter is strong in her own way. And then after that, she twelve years old, whatever she says, yeah, I'm never seeing her again. And I was sort of like, mm, that'll probably change. No, it has not changed. That's it. Mm. Done. Now she may change her mind at thirty-seven. Yeah, but um, I, I don't think so. I really don't. Yeah. Well, you but, obviously gave her a safe place to discover herself, I would say, you know. Um, it could have been gone the other way. I mean, not with, with somebody else. I mean, you're the, she was, seems fortunate that you connected. Well, I think that, you know, the I, I, people all, always want to, you know, um, thank you for that. And I, I mean, I don't want to take too much credit, but I was, the credit, I will take is that I was myself and she mm. saw me fight those battles subtly on a public stage uh, in my living room. She saw that constantly, you know, that I wasn't going to not be who I was and have some sort of authentic life. And so that's hard not that you, a, a child usually goes one way or the other. They reject all that about the parent or they glom onto it. She glommed onto it, not glommed, that's too strong of a word. She attached to it in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. no, authenticity is the, you know, parents like to put on their own masks and be the perfect parent. Or, I never do this. I never lie. I never, I never do this. I never get drunk. I don't do, you know, they try to put on this thing, facade, and kids see right through it. I mean, not intellectually. Minute, right? Yeah. They all know. But, and there's nothing more refreshing than an authentic, you know, I mean, it was difficult. I tried to be with, because our parents weren't, but I tried to be with my son and I would trace it with his daughter. They're very honest with each other. And it's, it's a different. A different thing. Completely. Yeah, different yeah you're in a different, I mean, you're a different generational. Different generation. Father. Yeah. I'll not just to say that they're all like that, but you obviously understood at least that we learned, uh, and, and just for me, I had an epiphany early on when my daughter was three, and I was sort of ignoring her the way I felt like, I guess my dad did to me for off and on. My parents were hot and cold. So, so, but, uh, and I remember the day that my the, I put it on my shoes and there were little stones in there. And I was all ready to get like all like pissed off at her. And then I I actually had an epiphany. I just said like, this is, she's trying to get attention. Uh, don't yeah. get angry. I've got a want chance. you to remember her and think about her all day when you're wearing those shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh my God. It was like, really? Yeah. I mean, it was a profound, the act of it was profound. But what it was that she was doing also, I think, has some ramifications. She didn't paint the outside of you. She did something that would affect you physically. Yeah, invisibly, too. Yeah. yeah. You're walking yeah. down the street. Smart. Yeah, that was very... Very clever. smart. That should open your book. Yeah. <laughs> Stones, and that's a good title for books. Stones, Stones in my shoe. Pebbles in my shoe. 
it's a, yes, I mean, it's a great story. And some parents, though, would not listen. They wouldn't have heard or perceived it as an epiphany. They'd have just gotten pissed off. And yeah. so what a loss that would be that she was she was doing this big thing that she didn't know. She was just being a kid. Yeah. But it was such a profound moment that you had to listen for on some level or be aware of. Well, thank you. We're, I have one. We have to go from the sublime to the ridiculous because there's one quote that I couldn't resist because, I, you know, Paul, oh, okay. Paul Lynn was beloved. Oh, I saw him actually on Broadway and by, uh, by Birdie. Yeah, I, would, I, I worshipped Paul Lynn when I was when like, I was eight years ten, old. Of yeah, course, and he's he was like the squares. ultimate. <laughs> and you're anyway, you were quoted as I think somebody gave you a one word thing. They'll, they sent out, a, you know, spoke a name and you just gave a yeah, one I'm word afraid response. to hear what this is going to be. Well, they okay. Well, this is just two. So, the, whoever the interviewer was said, Charles Nelson Riley, your comment was conflicted. And they said, Paul Lind, and your comment was hateful. So, well, there's that... a difference between them. Those are astute words on my part. Yeah. Okay. Charles Nelson Riley was mean, hmm. um, but it came from real inner, an inner world that was very fun. Can I say that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he just, I think that Charles Nelson Riley tried to make the world a better place, tried to best reconcile with a lot of friendships he destroyed, drunk, et cetera. There, there are similarities between them. However, in my opinion, Paul Lynn didn't have any of those redeemable. Oh, yeah. He was just... And he got meaner and crazier. And um, even though I guess people still bought it, I don't know what he was on that show. I, I, he, I, I, that was kind I, of his persona to being like that laugh he'd have, like crazy, yeah. like like crazy uh, scientist that laugh Mad. or evil laugh, evil laugh after you say something really bad about someone. And cackle. Yeah. Cackle, which is part a, of his... So what did that mean in the 50s that he was cast in those roles? Well, right, diminishing. He was a closeted gay man. Yeah, right, diminishing, yeah. Because yeah. that's what he played. He did oodles of cartoons, all villains. Except yeah, when oh, he, that's right. he was the lead in Bye Bye Birdie. He played the father, I remember. He, he sings that song and he comes out on yeah. stage. His love for it, Ed Sullivan. What's wrong with these kids today? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he certainly had his moments of being very brilliant. But... Um, uh, yeah, he was a mean-spirited. Yeah. All that evil that he played, there was a reality under oh. Yeah, that That's was most he, he did so well at it, you know. Right, yeah. Cartoon characters, they but, really seemed evil, that cat. And, and it's interesting, because as flamboyant as he was or whatever, I, I, I never, not that I didn't think of him as gay, he was just, it was so, he was a cartoon. He, he, was he was a, a cartoon. He was a cartoon. A lot of them are. Right. Yeah. A lot of them go to, that becomes their escape route. Mm-hmm. They won't be asked if they're funny. They're not sexy. Yeah. Now they are, these guys. Yeah. But then, especially, 
If you were funny in the extreme, like Paul Lind and there are others, well, Charles Nelson Raleigh, you don't you don't think of clowns having sex. Yeah, right. <laughs> At least I don't. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> busted. <laughs> we don't think of the, those kind of characters they played, whether they're extreme villains, whether they're clowns, whether they're the butler bringing the drinks. All those characters that sort of fell into this fuzzy area, part of the fuzz was not thinking about their sexuality. Yes. And that's how they got away with now out coming out of the closet. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it was a diversion, a diversion there. And then he couldn't play anything but that. Mm. Which is what that's Hollywood's fault or who I don't know whose fault. But um, well, he created that character, whatever it is, and that became his for everything he did. And he maybe he didn't want to break out. I know you can get typecast in Hollywood. So he was always Paul Lynn, wherever yeah. he whatever he did. You know, it wasn't like all of a sudden he's like, what was his calling card? Yeah, I've never uh, heard of it. It was his calling card and it was an ugly calling card. Mm. Except eventually uh, something happened. I don't know. I've read about it. I've been in interviews about it, but somewhere it turned on him, I think. And I don't think he could step out of that Paul end because yeah. he was more and more like the cackling drunk. An mm -hmm. evil person that he was playing. That's mm -hmm. what he became. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, we're just, uh, hey, we want to wrap it up with you just saying anything, uh, plugging, uh, mentioning your books and any no, no, stuff no, that you're no. doing. That we're... I like just talking like this. Well, it's, it was great. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That's what, yeah. I hope you got some stuff right. Uh, I'm always trying to like let people know if they do something like this about things that still exist and yeah. deserve some thought and, you know, maybe to look at something differently and pay attention. You know, that's all we, we have to pay attention, right. More than ever. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, the world's in a weird place and oh my. more compassion and uh, tolerance and, um, you know, I don't know where it's Instead of less, which yeah. Some, yeah. Degree, some days seems to be the, mindset yeah well okay. we can well, do our deal yeah thank well, you thanks very for much your, thanks for your time thank you so pleasure. much so you'll let me know everything when when our my publicist or when yeah all this thing probably within a week or so yeah we'll post what? it okay. yeah because we'll get it out there oh thank you yeah, yeah. yeah. okay okay thanks so much Bye. okay